Did you know that the build-up to the greatest comic book event of all times, The Crisis on Infinite Earths, began as far back as 1982? Hi, I'm Scott Gardner, and I'm your host for Crisis Management. So what is Crisis Management? Well, I conceive this show to be an adjunct to the ever-popular Tales of the Justice Society of America podcast hosted by Michael Bailey and myself. And on that show, Michael and I are pretty busy right now covering the very excellent 1980s series All-Star Squadron. Now, the All-Star Squadron, you know, for those that may not know, takes place in a parallel dimension called Earth-2, a world very much like our own, but slightly different. In the course of the coming months, we'll see All-Star Squadron building more and more speed as it begins its headlong collision course with Destiny in Crisis on Infinite Earths, an event that forever changed the face of DC Comics and the past and future tales of the Justice Society of America in particular. Crisis on Infinite Earths radically altered everything at DC Comics, and arguably nothing was more profoundly affected than the characters and storylines originating from Earth 2. For this reason primarily, Michael and I plan epic coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths, but there are other reasons, not only for its importance to what it will mean to the material that we'll be covering on Tales of the Justice Society of America, but also for what it means to us as an event, both in the world of comic books, but also as a historical touchstone, so to speak, in our lives as both readers and collectors of comics. Now, as I've said many times, Crisis on Infinite Earths is my Watchmen. It's my personal favorite comic story, and I really really want to do it justice in giving it the kind of coverage that an epic of its magnitude truly deserves. And so that's why there's crisis management. In these earliest episodes, we'll be looking at the stories that have come to be known as the quote-unquote pre-crisis monitor appearances. Now, what does that mean? Well, have patience. All will be revealed. Think of crisis management, this show, as a sort of overflow valve to give you coverage of the stories that are kind of sort of related to what we're covering or will be covering on Tales of the Justice Society of America, but not really. Again, I beg your patience, all will be revealed. And so with that (laughs) introduction out of the way, let's take a look at where the story of Crisis on Infinite Earths truly began. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents Crisis Management.
So for this one, we're going back to the cover date of July 1982 for the new Teen Titans, number 21. Has an awesome cover on it by George Perez. Shows the new Teen Titans. Uh, just a few of the Titans here. We have Raven, the Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Robin. They all look like they're uh, unconscious, knocked out, being carried by an angry mob that's holding uh, torches. And they're approaching this altar. And a shadowy figure, who we really can't make anything out of, he really is just a figure in shadow, says, Destroy the costume blasphemers in our midst. Obey the holy word of brother blood and if i'm not mistaken i do believe that amongst other characters appearing for their very first time in this tale i believe this is also the first appearance of brother blood the story opens above a ball field which maybe it would be more readily apparent to somebody who knows something about baseball me i know nothing about no baseball I think this is supposed to be Yankee Stadium. I don't believe it's ever actually identified as such in the story. But uh, it opens above this ball field, and we see Starfire of the New Teen Titans streaking down into the ball field. And then down at uh, ball field level, a pitch is about to be thrown when Raven pops in out of nowhere. And she's trying to warn the ball players about a bomb in their midst. That's what both she and Starfire have come there for. But little do they know that the, uh, I guess you could call them the Mad Bombers, the terrorists behind this whole thing, are actually laying in wait for the Titans. They have actually been hired by a mysterious someone to lay in wait and test the Titans when they get there. And of course, uh, Starfire and uh, Raven make short work of the terrorists, taking them all out. And Starfire is able to locate... Uh, actually, with the help of Raven, who does a sort of uh, mind-meldy type of thing on one of the terrorists, she tells Starfire that the bomb is buried beneath something called third base. And Starfire's a great moment where she says, what's that? And one of the uh, players identifies third base for her, so she uses her uh, her blasting power, and she carves this really cool like big trench circle thing around the third base, lifts the entire base, mound everything up, flies off and is barely able uh, to throw the bomb away in time for when there's a massive, massive explosion. The shockwave knocks Starfire silly and she can't concentrate enough to continue to fly and uh, it is Raven's soul self that uh, saves her from a nasty fall and Raven uses her empathic powers to, uh, to kind of mend Starfire in space and this is what the caption says there are several hundred satellites in uh, cluttered orbit around the earth these days this is but one of them and we see this really cool satellite looking thing kind of think of the the ball the borg ball from star trek uh first contact that kind of gives you an idea of what this thing sort of looks like a little more gleamy and polished than that but kind of that general idea and a figure is saying fascinating the extent extent of their power is greater than i had imagined inside the ship again we see nothing of this figure we don't know who's talking and we just see the back of a chair and we see a monitor screen on which is raven uh, tending to starfire and this mysterious figure is saying such information will prove valuable to my clients 
And the caption actually reads, Who is this mystery man? That is a story for another day. We continue on in the story and we see a uh, woman. Her name is Marcy. And this is actually a character that we had seen previously in this title, New Teen Titans. She is the uh, ex-girlfriend of Victor Stone, cyborg of the New Teen Titans. And she is dressed in this pseudo-religious robes outfit. It's, a, it's basically it's a black kind of flowy outfit with, uh, with red um, kind of highlights to it. She is literally running for her life from this woman who looks, again, it's pseudo-religious. She almost looks like a nun, this gun-wielding nun. It's like a ray gun-wielding nun who is chasing her down. And they're running through the woods. Marcy is literally running for her lives. We see trees being blown up and everything as this woman is trying to kill her. Marcy crosses some train tracks and she is winged by one of the shots and she falls to the ground. She's crying. She says, why, why, why? And the mystery nun woman approaches her and says, because you have sinned, Sister Marcy, sinned against the church of brother blood. For sinning, you must pay penance. Your penance is excommunication. And we get the impression that she's just about to fire when she suddenly realizes that uh, standing on the train tracks uh, while there's a train approaching you to try to shoot somebody, not the best assassination plan in the whole world. And she literally gets run over by this train in the apartment of Vic's new sort of semi-girlfriend. I, I think what it is at this point, I think this girl wanted to be his new girlfriend and Vic, for whatever reason, I, I think he was still in his I'm such a freak phase. He's kind of resistant to the whole thing, but her, her name is Sarah. Um, if I remember properly, I think she was a school teacher kind of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the New Teen Titans. This was one of my favorite books um, growing up. But uh, it's been a long time since I've read some of these stories. So some of the you know, characters have grown a little bit fuzzy in my in my head. Anyway, they're at Sarah's apartment. And Vic gets a phone call. He answered it, and it's Marcy, and she's flipping out, and she's begging him, come help me, come help me. And she tells him that she's on the run. She's hiding out in uh, Ron's old place. She says that she's hurt, and then there's a large explosion. And Cyborg is, you know, understandably very upset about this. We, as the readers, are treated to what is actually going on at Ron's place. And Marcy is on the floor begging for her life. And three, now three of these uh, nun-looking women, one of them holding a great big nasty-looking ray gun, are bearing down on her and basically saying the same thing the other woman had said, that it is time for her to pay for her sins and the order from Brother Blood himself is excommunication. We see Vic yelling into the phone, Marcy, 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 and she doesn't answer as there, we see the uh, receiver of the phone just dangling in a... Uh, Looks like an explosion or something and a, a sound effect going, mm, so I guess that's like a ray gun sound. I see a really cool cityscape shot and this tiny figure jumping across the city, all Incredible Hulk style. And he narrows in, he's using his uh, sound amplifiers, his ear amplifiers, he calls it, to trace the sound to Ron's place. He gets there, it's too late, the place is ablaze. And while we don't see it, uh, I'm pretty sure it, it's heavily implied that uh, Vic finds whatever remains of Marcy 
collapses to the ground, uh, fist balled up, and he's very upset, and he lets out just a huge Superman-esque scream of why, and he's just completely destroyed by these events. We cut to somewhere in Massachusetts, and it's, again, a semi-church, huge, creepy-looking, gothic uh, cathedral, I guess you would say, and another woman is brought before, uh, well, she's brought before Brother Blood, who, again, we only kind of see in shadows. We don't see much of him, and her name is Sister Karen, and she has brought before him And she pleads her case, saying that she has been nothing but faithful to Brother Blood. But she was the one that brought Marcy into the fold. So because Marcy did something that was perceived as sinning against Brother Blood, Marcy is all, or excuse me, uh, uh, what was her name? (laughs) Karen, since she recruited Marcy, she's going to pay as well. So... Yeah, t- tough, uh, tough establishment here that uh, Brother Blood is running. It's uh, you know, it's, recruitment's got to be really tough for this place. Anyway, Brother Blood he pushes a button, and Karen drops down through a trap door in the ceiling, plunges way down into what looks like a really icky, nasty dungeon sewery type of thing, and she comes up. And she's hollering, you know, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? And she looks up and there's this giant, awesome, creepy looking, like mutant spidery looking thing bearing down on her with, you know, slavering fangs. And it's, it's really, really cool. And we see the trap door up above her slowly closing up as uh, we get a great close up of Karen, you know, screaming. And we can imagine that something pretty nasty is happening to her down in the depths of this dungeon we cut to our first full reveal of what brother blood looks like now he's okay you know his outfit's actually kind of cool it actually reminds me an awful lot of lord satanus my big problem with brother blood besides the fact i'm just going to come clean right at the beginning of this i think he's pretty lame my big problem with him visually though is from the neck up i just think he looks completely ridiculous He's wearing some sort of, I don't know what this creature is supposed to be, but he's wearing some sort of creature's uh, skull for a helmet. Now, I've never liked that look. Marvel does that a lot with their animal characters. Like, say, uh, oh, there's the big whale guy. What was it? Now, Orca, I think is his name. There's uh, the man-ape. There's several different characters where the head of their costume is actually the head of an animal. So instead of being like Hawkman where he kind of sort of looks like maybe he's supposed to have a bird head for a head. These guys have like their human face and then like a head, an animal head on top of their regular head. It just looks silly. And this guy kind of has that same sort of look with having a skull on top of his own skull. It just looks weird. It'd be, it'd be cooler, I think, if he was wearing a skull for a mask. But wearing something that is a head on top of your own head just to me makes you look completely ridiculous so i think he looks really silly plus he's got this big red i don't know what this is supposed to be a lip protector or something Uh, right around his nose area it's like between his his nose and his upper lip and i don't know if this is supposed to look like um, you know, it, it's he's wearing some sort of like a mask thing, but the way the red highlight is on the bottom of this mask, 
it looks like he has a great big old like Scottish mustache. He reminds me of Dum Dum Dugan from the Howling Commandos, like you know that great big red mustache that that readily identifies Dum Dum Dugan. That's kind of what Brother Blood has here. It, no, it's not hair. I mean, it's part of the mask, but it just looks it looks silly to me. It looks like a great big old red mustache. Anyway, he's yelling at his people. You know, that uh, now because of Karen's blundering and bringing Marcy into the fold and not checking out her backstory and knowing who she was and her relevance to Cyborg and, you know, letting her get off a call to Cyborg and now the Titans are going to get involved and we must be on the offensive and blah, blah, blah. Basically, it, it boils down to the Titans might come looking for us. So we cut to Titans Tower, which is located at this time out in the middle of a uh, small island in New York's East River. I always liked that. I always thought that was really cool that they have a great big tower that's shaped like a T and it's right there out in the harbor in, uh, or out in the river rather in uh, New York City. I always thought that was really cool. And we see the Titans gather around and I always really, really liked Perez's work with Robin. I, th- I really credit two people with making me a big Robin fan, and that's Mike Grell from um, a story I remember from when I was a kid, a really cool Robin solo story. And then George Perez, just the way he would uh, illustrate Robin, you know, the, the, the teen Robin of this era. And in this, it's really cool. He's just so casual. He's got his mask off, he has his cape off, and he's got his, uh, what we come to realize is a tunic He's got his tunic all on, but he's just very casual. He's got his gloves off. So he's like half in, half out of his Robin costume. And he's hanging out at, at this uh, like control panel while the other Titans are all gathered around. And they're talking to, uh, to Cyborg via some sort of communicator thing. Cyborg's actually on the phone, but we see the Titans just gathered around like they're listening to him through a speaker or something. And uh, Robin promises cyborg that uh he's going to start a computer check on brother blood immediately and see if they can uh find out a little bit more about what might be going on and what happened to marcy both robin and starfire express uh their concern for cyborg to him but cyborg kind of pushes them both away saying that he doesn't need you know help at the moment he just needs the information he wants to know where to find Brother Blood, and then he says, he's mine. Mine! I really like that. Right smack in the middle of the issue, we get a, uh, a one of these special preview inserts. I used to like when DC would do this. Sometimes I'd read them, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they weren't. Um, this one I have not read in a whole great big long time, but one of these days I want to read not only this preview again, but I want to read the entire series that spun out of this. This is The Night Force, and this was uh, another series written by the writer of this particular issue, um, Marv Wolfman, who it strikes me I have not done the credits on this book yet, but I will get to that at the end. Also, the uh, illustrator on this was none other than Gene Colan. And uh, this is one of those series I've always intended to read because I loved Marf, uh, Wolfman's and Gene Colan's work together on Tomb of Dracula. Love that stuff. So one of these days I want to sit down and read Night Force. I'm still tracking down the uh, the issues of that, though. Anyway, getting back to the story. 
nice little wrap up to this whole little uh, conversation thing with uh, with Cyborg, where Robin and the rest of the Titans kind of confer amongst each other, compare notes, and in the end, it basically comes down to Robin saying, "Listen, for Victor, let's nail that creep fast." You know, he's talking about Brother Blood. We cut to a few days later, and the funeral of Marcy and Cyborg approaches the funeral site and he's uh, all dressed up in a blue suit he's carrying some flowers and Marcy's dad goes ballistic he completely blames Cyborg for what happened to his daughter but Cyborg tries to explain he keeps getting cut off but he's trying to explain that you know he uh, was trying to help her and he still wants to try to do what he can um, you know to bring whoever did this to her to justice and robin and the rest of the titans show up as well and it is in the end it is raven and her plea to the family you know on the both for the case of cyborg but also for marcy you know they want to try to bring this this killer in and they're asking for both the the family's blessing more or less and also for any information that the family might be able to supply to put them you know on the lead of where marcy was what she was doing what led to all this basically so eventually we see uh the titans uh, a select few of them go basically civilian they go undercover and they pose as new recruits for the uh, Church of Brother Blood. And we've got Kid Flash, Raven, Wonder Girl, and Robin. And they're all in, you know, as I say, they're all in regular civilian clothes, regular civilian identities, just posing as young kids uh, being newly recruited into this church. And right away, uh, they're both impressed and repulsed by what they see around them. But the church is just excellently illustrated by George Perez. It's both really magnificent and gothic, uh, but also just damn creepy. Because it it does very much look like uh, a traditional, say, like, very, very old church. like, Like a church you would see in England or something. But then it has these creepy skulls and gargoyles and just, it's very sinister. It's like a dark church. So very, very creepy. And eventually, um, well, one of, one of the moments I really liked in this was that uh, there's a, a brief talk. It doesn't get too heavy or anything, but just a brief talk between uh, Kid Flash and Robin about this religion and the fact that it's not really a religion. It's more of a cult. But I, I just like the conversation the two of them have that eventually leads to a discussion of you know, are you religious? I like that. And uh, I like, you know, just the way it's discussed between the two characters. In the meantime, turns out they're not really fooling anybody that the church is so much more than just a church, so much more than just some weird, you know, group of people in, in some weird cult. They are a huge organization and they do have a level of technology in their employ. And we get a, a shot of this huge huge like computer monitor area type of thing and we see images of all of the in disguise titans on there and they have been bio scanned and the computers have found an anomaly and right away 
um, the the members realize that this is something that they've been looking for, and they uh, go to notify Brother Blood of what's going on. So we we are learning right off the bat that this Brother Blood is not stupid. He was not only anticipating the Titans, but he knew just how to rat them out when they would come calling. So the story prog- progresses to a point where we see uh, a church service and the Titans are, are dressed now as acolytes and brought into the service themselves. And one of the members of the congregation is called out to, and told to rise and confess her sins. And she stands up and she basically calls a spade a spade she says she hasn't sinned she just finally saw the light about this place she tells brother blood you are not a god you're not even a religion you're a devil a devil blood calls the girl a blasphemer and he whips out some sort of palm blaster thing and literally incinerates her on the spot right in front of everybody including the titans raven feels this girl's death pain and she screams out you know a cry of pain and then she says the pain the terrible piercing pain and that's when the titans are revealed and brother blood calls for his church to destroy uh, what he calls defilers tear them apart raven uh, it's not clear to me whether she makes everybody disappear or whether she just makes a big old cloud of you know her creepy uh sulfury smoke thing that she does something like that but you see wonder girl's fist come out of this cloud and smack somebody a guy uh gets a chokehold on kid flash but then he just does his super speed whirling thing changes into his actual costume takes off approaches the altar intending to take out brother blood but brother blood is well uh protected and Kid Flash barely avoids being electrocuted, but he is knocked unconscious. Robin, now in his full costume, Raven and Wonder Girl, also in her full costume, they all go into action. They all individually attack Brother Blood, but Brother Blood is uh, able to hold his own against all these people. He uh, blasts apart one of Robin's battering attacks and then uh, takes Robin out with a with a blast to Robin's chest that leaves him laying on the ground uh, a great big cloud of smoke rising off of him we're not sure if he's alive or dead Wonder Girl attacks and she is zapped she's taken out in the end the only one that uh, is still sort of standing Although her her actual body is knocked unconscious, is Raven's soul self, and she's looking out onto this scene, and she sees Robin, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, and her own mortal body all unconscious in front of the altar of Brother Blood. And she says, my body is unconscious, but my soul is ready. I know what must be done. The other Titans must be alerted. They must be brought here. But for what? Their triumph or their dooms? Next issue... The Battle, cover to cover shocks, it says. We will not be covering next issue because the intent of this show is, as I said, to cover, at least in these uh, earliest stages, to cover the pre-crisis monitor appearances. So again, what does that mean, pre-crisis monitor appearances? Well, we don't get much of one in this one, but the reason I wanted to cover this story is that this is... The first appearance, pre-crisis, of the Monitor. 
And it basically amounts to, on page six, at the beginning of our story, at that point where Starfire was tending to, or excuse me, where Raven, rather, was tending to Starfire after uh, Starfire had been knocked out of the sky, there was just a, a simple two panels. This is in between the part with Raven and Starfire and just before the part where uh, Marcy was being chased down by the uh, crazy sort of pseudo-nun lady. Just two panels. One was uh, of the mysterious orbiting satellite ship uh, high above the Earth. The other was uh, of literally of the back of a chair and someone monitoring Raven and Starfire on, uh, on a view screen. That's it. And if it weren't for the box that says, who is this mystery man, we wouldn't even know that it was a man. But at this point, absolutely nothing is revealed. No name, uh, no outline, no features, um, nothing. And so that's all we are given of a setup for, uh, for the monitor. Uh, a very inauspicious start for this character. Next time, we will see just a tiny bit more. We will get just a little bit more of a taste of the Monitor and what his deal is. This issue was uh, written and the characters, uh, or the series rather, co-created by Marv Wolfman. Now, Marv Wolfman, of course, would go on to be the writer of Crisis on Infinite Earth. So it's very fitting, I think, that uh, that this is where the monitor uh started out was in you know marv's big book of the time which was new teen titans and of course this book co-created and the artist of the book george perez who again would go on to be uh the artist one of the artists for crisis on infinite earths and the inker on this was romeo tangal Great issue, brought back a lot of memories. I really enjoyed uh, New Teen Titans back in this era. You know, the classic Wolfman uh, Perez stuff, you can't beat it. This is great, great stuff. The characterizations and just the action. Um, but, I, you know, I just love the fact that this was, this was an era where characterization became so, so, so important in comics to where these characters felt very real and people really latched onto them. I was one of them. I really enjoyed this stuff. And uh, there were actually issues of New Teen Titans where there was no fights. You know, there was no discernible bad guy. It was just a character piece. I like that. And I still maintain that comics need more of that. I like that you could get a great character piece out of what was essentially a superhero book. I liked that a whole lot. It, it brought uh, a human, a much-needed human and uh, realistic, for lack of a better term, a realistic feel to the material. They were more than just superheroes. They were more than just cardboard cutouts or, or just do-gooders. They were people you know, with, with real emotions and, and relationships and fallibilities. I like that. I like that a whole lot. Wolfman and Perez's uh, New Teen Titans, check it out. If you, if you haven't read it in a long time, go back and take a look at it. If you've never read it, most definitely check it out because it is some of the best superhero comics that, uh, that there ever have been. But that's pretty much it for this time around. Um, that was the first appearance first pre-crisis appearance of the monitor next time around 
we will be looking at new Teen Titans Annual number two. And uh, we'll get some more pre-crisis monitor in that, as well as, if I'm not mistaken, I think that one also has the first appearance of, uh, of a character who went on to make something of a splash at the time in the, uh, in the DC universe. Um, but just a great, great story. Uh, very much more a standalone issue than the, than the one that we got here. This is very much uh, part of a story. So I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, please send feedback. Uh, you can send feedback on this to the regular Tales uh, address, which is talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Send feedback. Let us know what you think of the show. Till next time, I'm Scott Gardner. Thanks a lot for listening. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.2truefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Michael Bailey and myself, as well as Chris Honeywell, and several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We've built a great, fun, and friendly community there, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. As always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And of course, both Michael Bailey and myself are on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoy this show, won't you please take a moment to mention us on the social networking site of your choice, whenever you're listening to one of our episodes. Word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show, and we really appreciate your helping us to grow our listenership. Once again, folks, thank you so much for listening, and be sure to join us next time for the tales of the Justice Society of America. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. Recently, I was overcome by the urge to read my Batman comics again, while separately wanting to do another solo podcast. I decided that these were two great tastes that would taste great together, and thus was born Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which coincidentally is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until... Well, until at least the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories, just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DC Universe. It is going to be all Batman, all the time, as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. No Man's Land. 
All of that and more will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at Bailey's Batman Podcast.com. Batman created by Bob Kane and Richard Nixon. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What, just... Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. We're doomed. I don't like this. No! Really pissed me off. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com.